morning, everyone. For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Doug, and I'm an elder here at Living Hope Church. And from time to time, uh, we get to be able to come up and to be able to speak the Word of God to the church uh, under Pastor Mona's direction, obviously. We don't just come up here to say our own opinions and our own thoughts, because you don't need my opinions and my thoughts. You need God's opinions and you need His thoughts. So sometimes we do series, and that's what we're going to be starting today. We do series, and then we break it up, and we have different speakers come and uh, be able to bring certain portions of that to you. So today we're starting a new series, which is called, Why the Nativity? And if you were here last night for the movie, you already know the answer. But some of you weren't here. <laughs> so you're going to have to listen and see if you can figure it out. Let's pray before we start this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can gather here, Lord. God, you gathered us together. You gave us a place to worship. God, you came and you dwelt with us. And God, here we are this morning. God, we need to hear from you this morning. So, Father, I'm asking this morning that you would use my voice. God, that you would speak your word to your people. God, that you would open up their hearts to be able to understand, Lord, the true meaning of Christmas. God, why you came and you had to become a man. God, why this scene? Why this nativity scene? And Lord, we just ask for your presence this morning. We thank you that your presence is here, God, just through the worship. It's like you're walking up and down the rows, Lord. And God, you're here with us, and we thank you. So Father, this morning, we just stand against anything, Lord, that might try to come and discourage your people or might try to steal the word from your people. God, we ask, Lord, that you would raise a standard against it this morning. And Holy Spirit, that you would take the word and that you would put it deep into the people's hearts. God, that they might be able to be set free and understand who truly who you are. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for over the next few weeks, what's going to happen is we're going to investigate just this scene, the nativity scene. Everybody has seen the nativity scene. Either you're in a store and you've seen it or you've seen it around your houses and it's been around for ages. But sometimes we don't truly understand what transpired that night when Jesus was born. It's the most significant event in human history. The most significant. It's the time of the year where we, where we rejoice in the earthly coming of Jesus Christ. And it's the season when it seems when all of the world kind of stands still at its celebration. But a lot of times, even as believers, sometimes we don't focus on the right things. Sometimes it passes us by. Sometimes the season comes and goes, and we haven't even thought a moment about Jesus. We haven't thought a moment about that manger scene and what transpired there. A lot of times, instead, we're spending a lot of money. We're out, we're shopping, we're decorating our houses, we're cooking, and just different. A lot of things take up our time during Christmas, doesn't it? And all of these things, folks, are good in their own place. But in the midst of all of these activities, we need to take time to remember what Christmas is truly about and why it happened as it did because there's so much more to the story than just the birth of a child in Bethlehem. As you saw about the movie last night, at the end he, he explained, he says, this was a moment where hundreds of years of prophecy came to be 
together to be fulfilled hundreds of years. The, ancients were, the ancient words were being fulfilled about where Jesus was coming from, where he was being born, his ancestry, his life, and even his death. And the story of a Savior started way before Bethlehem. Way before Bethlehem. It started in the Garden of Eden, really. And as you read through the scripture, it ends with an empty tomb. It's a wonderful story. If, if you're here this morning and you don't know the, the story of Jesus, you got to go and you got to read it. You'll never be the same. And if you come to the right conclusion during these messages, you're going to see that the story is really about you and it's about me. And it's about our need for a sacrifice that would cover our sins forever. And the story is really, the story is really about salvation. And at the time where hope and peace was delivered, God sent his son, Jesus, to be born with hope and with peace in the most vulnerable way. And there he is just laying in a major. God's plan to bring humanity back to himself. And you know, even in the most dire of situations, it seems like Christmas seems to flood the air with hope and with joy and with peace. Just like it did for the shepherds. Remember last night in the movie, he was talking about the shepherds. And they were the lowliest of the lowliest. And, and the angels came to them first to announce the news to them first. And as I was preparing for this message, I read a story and it said, in 1914, during World War I, <clears throat> on Christmas Eve, there was a miracle that happened. British and German forces were in their trenches. They were wet, they were hungry, they were shivering in the mud. And their days and nights were marked by endless cycle of sleeplessness and fear. There was no hope in sight. A fighting across the battlefront was severe. And from the memoirs of soldiers that were there that night, it remains one of the most strangest moments of the Great War. About 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve, as bullets are flying across the fields, among the dark shadows, the British can hear the German soldiers singing Christmas carols in the midst of the fight. And the British were so confused, they didn't know what to do. They looked at each other and they said, well, what do we do? And they said, well, let's sing back. And as they sang back across the field, what happened next would, in years to come, stun the world and make history. From both sides, soldiers nervously stepped out of their trenches and they met halfway in the field across where they were fighting. And normally, the only way that they would communicate was by streaking bullets and bombs. That's the way they communicated. But not on Christmas Eve 1914. They met in the middle of the field with handshakes, with words of kindness, with embraces, and they traded songs of joy. And they joined in a spontaneous celebration that many could not believe their eyes. One soldier put it this way. Here we were dancing and talking and laughing with men only a few moments earlier, we were trying to kill. He said, it didn't make any sense. Peace and joy descended on us. And it wasn't confined to that one battlefield. When you read the story, 100,000 soldiers all around the Western Front were experiencing the same thing. It would become known as the 1914 Christmas Truce. See, that night, Christmas... The celebration of love, it managed to bring enemies together as friends. And that's the Christmas story. How God's plan through Jesus Christ would bring us as enemies back to God and bring us back together. 
John 12, 47 says this. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world, but I came to save it. And today is going to be part one called, Why Did Jesus Become a Man? We're going to go through five reasons. I'm going to try to do it as quickly as I can, but there's just some things that need to be said. So you're going to, if I see you falling asleep, <laughs> I'm coming down. Mic me up. I'm coming down. <laughs> you know, when we think about the nativity scene, I was reading about the nativity scene, and in the year 1223, there was a man by the name of St. Francis of Assisi, which is modern-day Italy today. He's credited with staging the first nativity scene. He approached the Pope at that time, and he asked for permission to set up a manger scene in a cave in the, in the Italian village, and all he had was a couple of animals. He had an ox. He had a donkey. He had some borrowed hay. He had a couple of volunteers that said, sure, we'll do it with you. And he had a passion. He had a passion to speak about Christmas and about the babe of Bethlehem. And in an autobiography from one of his close friends, St. Bonaventure, who was there, said during their preaching session, there was an anointing that fell on St. Francis. And he was so moved with emotion that he had a hard time to speak. And it was said that that night there was a miracle also that happened. The very hay that he borrowed to do the scene, when it was put back into the barns of all the other farmers, it cured all the local cattle of disease and pestilences. Now, folks, I believe that this man was moved upon by the Holy Spirit, just as I believe that the Spirit of God descended on enemies in 1914. And I believe that God is showing us the same thing today with us. God caused men and women one more time, one more time to look back into the stable and to see his gift of hope and peace. To bring people back to the true roots of Christmas. Just like in the days, in their days, today we forget very, very quickly, don't we? We make the Christmas season what we want it to be. We do. We only have a good Christmas if the, if it, if the gifts are full underneath the tree. It's only a good Christmas if everything is full in the fridge and everything is perfect. It'll be a good Christmas. That's our thoughts. But we forget about the manger long ago and God's gift of love. We forget about the plan to reconcile you and I and all of humanity to a restored relationship with God. And what a, what a scene it must have been. Could you imagine? Last night we had a picture. And, and for those of you that were here, it brought like this new revelation of the picture of Christmas. Can you imagine? Mary... She must have felt as she, how she must have felt when she gazed down at the newborn child. She knows that she's a virgin. She knows she had no sexual relations. She knows it's a miracle. And I bet all the thoughts came rushing back to her of what the angel had told her would happen. Everything that Gabriel told her, everything has happened to her now. Everything has come true that the angel told her. And Mary must have had a lot of questions. Matter of fact, when you read the story, the first question that she says to Gabriel is, how can this be? How can it be? I've had no, I've never been with a man or anything. And I love Gabriel's response. And he says, Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Wow. So she probably had questions. And this is where we're going to go into the five points. Why did Jesus become a man? It's probably a question she had. Why is he here in my arms as flesh? Flesh and blood, and he's so vulnerable. 
The first point is this. Jesus became a man to satisfy the prophecies of the Old Testament. You see, in Luke 24, 24, it says this. All things must be fulfilled that were written about me in the laws of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Now, folks, there was a lot that was said about the coming Messiah. A lot. And Jesus, if Jesus was the Messiah, think of this. If Jesus was the Messiah, he would have to fulfill everything that was said about him in order for them to believe that that was, my, that was a Messiah. It would be like me coming in, <clears throat> or somebody sends a report to Pastor Bona and says, you have a new drummer and he's coming in, he's going to be tall, dark, and handsome, and he's going to be full of muscle. And I walk in. <laughs> and then I walk in. And they'll be like, no, that's not him. So in order for Jesus to be the Messiah, he would have, people were watching, people were looking. They knew what the scriptures said. They would have to, everything would have to come to be in his life. And it did. Against all odds. Read the scriptures. Against all odds. Over 300 prophecies he fulfilled. You see in the book of Numbers 23, 19, God said, I'm not a man that I should lie. I'm not a man that I should change my mind. Do I speak and I not act? Do I promise and not fulfill? Never. God, all the way through time, He was speaking to His people. He was telling them that a deliverer is coming. There's a Savior that's coming. And in sending Jesus, He would articulate all the specifics. What a pile of stuff that had to be moved around and in order for everything to be fulfilled as the scripture said and God demonstrates his sovereignty and he fulfills everything that was ever said about his son's birth everything that he would be in everything that he would do right down to the person the place and the time it's it's unbelievable it's an incredible story every page when you read from Genesis to Malachi <clears throat> it trembles with anticipation of this of, of this coming champion somebody's coming to save his people. And even though <clears throat> the books, the prophetic books, they were all written by different people, folks. There was, it wasn't just one person. There was many prophets. God spoke to many of them, and each one had some sort of little glimmer of a Savior that was coming when you read back through the books. <clears throat> Isaiah said this, the special deliverer will be miraculously born of a virgin. And that his name would be called Emmanuel hundreds of years before it even happened. And it's on the screen. I'm just going to be, you'll see the scriptures come up on the screen, but I'm going to kind of paraphrase them for the sake of time. But the scripture is there. And folks, it's simply amazing. Hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, here comes Gabriel, the archangel. He's, he's doing whatever he, he does. And God says, Gabriel, go to Nazareth and announce to Mary the good news. I thought about that there, and I said, my, my. All of heaven must have rejoiced to see God's plan begin and come into action. Because you see, at the end of Malachi, folks, the heavens are closed up. They don't hear anything else. There's silence for 400 years. It would be like almost the equivalent of Pastor Mona coming and Pastor Glenn coming to the church and speaking for two minutes and stay here for 40 years. You don't hear anything else from them. Nothing. 400 years. 
See, we forget that we, us, we, we simply turn the pages of our Bible and we're in the New Testament. But for the Israelites, there wasn't a single divine spokesperson appear. Not one. They heard nothing from God for 400 years. And then all of a sudden, there's a glimmer of hope. Gabriel shows up. And he says, Mary, don't be afraid. Today the Holy Spirit's going to come over you and you're going to conceive in your womb and you're going to have a son. And you're going to call him Emmanuel. You're going to call him Jesus. God with us. God with us. Not God far away. God here with us. Now, today, in our worship service. You see, Micah predicted in Micah 5, 2, that the king would be born in Bethlehem and that he would come from a distant past. Jeremiah prophesied that the birthplace of this coming one would suffer a massacre of infants. And folks, that's, that's terrible when you think of it. But that's how evil works. You can be sure when God does something, the devil is not too far behind trying to pick it apart, eh? It's true. Think about your own lives. You come here, you listen to the word of God, and it's not long before he's, trying, he's picking at it. Remember a while ago I told you the story of 1914. God sends peace and joy and the, and, and the troops come together and it's unbelievable. They can't believe their eyes. But yet there's a soldier on the German side and he's, you know what he's doing? He's scolded every one of his colleagues. He's saying, this should never be. This should never happen. You don't have any pride left. Don't do this. We can't do this. This can't happen in war. 25-year-old soldier, you know who he was? Adolf Hitler. He was there. And it amazed me. He was there. He saw what came. He saw what God can do. Nothing can be stopped when God puts his hand to it. Amen. Nothing. Amen. And we see the prophecy fulfilled in Matthew 2, 16 and 18 when Herod becomes angry. And he tries to eliminate Jesus in a fit of anger. And he has every child under the age of two killed. But you know, you can't kill what God has put in place. You can't. So Jesus became a man, folks, in order to, for prophecy to be fulfilled. To show us that the promised Messiah, spoken down through history, he was the one. And to draw us back to the Father. And that's point number two. Jesus became a man to show us the Father. In John 14, 8, 9, it says this. When Philip was talking with Jesus one day, he said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Philip, have I not been with you so long, and yet you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. You see, Jesus is the one who reveals the Father to us. If you want to know the Father, just look at Jesus. If you want to know how the Father cares for people, look at how Jesus ministered to people. If you want to know the Father's will for our lives, listen to Jesus' words. Because they're truth from the Father. You see, Jesus revealed the nature of the Father in his actions and in his words. And he's still revealing the Father to us today. When you see Jesus doing what he did in the Gospels, you're watching God the Father at work. It's God the Father at work. Jesus in John 5.19 said this. He said, I don't do anything on my own. I do what I see the Father doing. And then I join in. 
That's the only, and, it, and it's really the only way that you become a Christian also, is to know Jesus because Jesus is the one and he's the way that you come to know the Father. He said it himself, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. He says, no one comes to the Father <clears throat> except through me. No one. Now, that probably raises a lot of questions with some people. But we have to put it straight today. Some people might say, are you telling me there's no other way to heaven? Are you telling me that there's no other route? Are you telling me that there's no self-imagined way except God the Father's way through Jesus? Yep. <laughs> That's what we're saying. There's only one way. Through Jesus. Because Jesus said it. What else do, I, what else do we need? Jesus said it. He's the way. It's the very reason why Jesus is laying in a manger. And as his life progresses, he's going to walk down a lonely road with a cross and his shoulders to see that you and I have a way back. Because Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned. Every one of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The only hope, folks, of salvation is this baby, this mediator between God and man, which is Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the third reason Jesus became a man. Jesus became a man to save us from our sins. In 1 Timothy, Paul's writing 1 verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world <clears throat> to save sinners. Of who I am chief, he says. I don't know, sometimes I could probably... <laughs> Paul said he's the chief of sinners. Sometimes I look at myself and I say, I don't know, Paul, you might have some competition. <laughs> Sometimes the way that we are, right? You see, one of the greatest reasons it was necessary for Jesus to become flesh, to become a man, is because he had to shed blood. The law required that cleansing can only happen with the shedding of blood. There'd be no way for Jesus to do this unless he took on human flesh. And according to God's law, sin has to be atoned for. In the Old Testament, we know that animals did that. They took animals and they sacrificed animals in order to be atoned for and to atone for their sin, but there was no lasting effect of that. And we would, we would require a greater sacrifice, which is what Christ became and why Christ had to take on human form. There's no other way to carry our sins, folks. To break the curse of sin, God himself would have to step into humanity. What love the Father has for you and I. That he would leave his home, leave everything, and come. And that's the story of Christmas. He would come down and live amongst us. It would require Christ to become a curse, to redeem us from the curse. So Jesus took on human flesh and he became like us. That in turn he could win us back. Essentially that's what he wanted. So that he could win us back to himself. And that's God's love for you and I. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And Matthew 5.17 says, don't think, Jesus said, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I've come, I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, folks, someone had to fulfill the requirements. In order for us to be free, somebody had to fulfill the requirements of all the law. It had to be met completely. It requires someone to fulfill every requirement to perfection. 
You and I couldn't do that. The best of persons in the world couldn't do that. Every sin had to be paid for. Every sin had to be atoned for. Because you see, there's no sin that escapes the requirements. So by fulfilling the requirements of the law, Jesus not only lived up to the standards, he completed them all. He became the required sacrifice that the law demanded. And he fulfilled the requirements of the law that you and I couldn't pay. We couldn't do it. We couldn't pay for our own sins. We had a debt to pay. And we couldn't pay it. And this could only happen if Jesus came in the flesh. I have a side note here that I put. I said, by the way, if you're not, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus as Savior, there's a problem. Because you're still under the requirements of the law. You know what that means? It means there's still a penalty to pay for your sin. There's still a penalty to pay for sin. But the good news is Jesus came to save you from your sin. You just have to accept the gift. It's, it's no more than that. Accept his gift. The point number four says Jesus became a man to sympathize with our weakness. And sometimes we feel, I don't know about you, but sometimes we feel that we're not good enough to have Jesus help us. You know, we look at our own lives, we look at where we've been, what we've done, and we say, oh, I did this and I guess I'll do it myself because I'm not worthy to do it, to have God help me. I'm not worthy of Jesus. I'm not worthy to do any of these things. And how can God even come near me? Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says this. We don't have a high priest who is unable to, to not to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And it says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. All of us have times of need. I don't care how good your life is going. All of us have times of need. There's not one person here that doesn't need mercy. There's not one person here that doesn't need grace. And there's not one person here who has lived the perfect life so far. If you have, lift your hand up. We'll wait. <laughs> there's not one person. <laughs> you see, Jesus Christ is both fully God and he's fully man. And a lot of times when we read the scripture, we... we and we read the Gospels, what happens is we see God, and sometimes we miss the man. You know, sometimes we see the creator of heaven and earth, but we forget about the carpenter from Nazareth. Sometimes we see the Son of God, but we forget the Son of Mary. We forget that he scraped his knees, he probably jumped out of trees. He, you know, he knew what it was like to be lonely. He experienced rejection. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to walk with not many friends. He knows what it's like not to be the best looking in the room. The Bible says he was nothing to look at. He had no special features. He didn't grow up privileged. He didn't grow up with any, you know, super privileges that made him special outside. He's the son of God, but he came as a human being and he lived here, just like we did. And sometimes we miss the Christ whose heart grows warm when he meets our failures, and he meets our frailties, and he meets our troubles, and he meets our temptations. 
We miss the man who out of love for us, Hebrews 2.17 says, he was made like his brothers in every respect. You see, Jesus can sympathize with you and all of your weaknesses because he lived as a human being. And he experienced all the things that we experienced because Christ is concerned for you. Christ is concerned about your daily needs. He is concerned when you're in trouble. And he's concerned when you're tempted. We've got a building project going on here. <laughs> God is concerned. God rejoices that we have godly, you know, just those ideas. He rejoices with those things. And he can mourn when, you know, when, when we see somebody kind of leave or they leave the faith and we mourn for them. Jesus can sympathize with well, he, he, he mourns the same way. Christ's sympathy means he can feel emotionally what we're feeling, insofar as our emotions are not sinful, of course, but he rejoices with us when we rejoice for good and godly things, and he mourns with us when we mourn over the loss of godly things. So you can go to Jesus. You can go to Jesus with whatever is going on in your life, and you can know that he hears you and he understands you. And he came down to experience everything that we've experienced, ex apart from sin. But you see, there's nothing that anyone has done, nothing that anyone has gone through, that are currently going through, or will ever go through, that Jesus can't relate to, he can't sympathize with, or encourage his children in. Nothing. So you can relate with God, because God can relate with everything that we go through, everything. And the last point is this. Jesus became a man... To secure our hope of heaven. In other words, the simplest way to paraphrase this is, Jesus came down so we could go up. That's the simplest, simplest form I could say. Colossians 1.27 says this. To them God willed to make known what the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, until Christ comes to live within our hearts, this is a hard saying. Now listen, until Christ comes to live within our heart, we're not fit for heaven. It would be like me sugarcoating things and saying, here's a box of donuts, and I'm going to give you a box of donuts every day. Just eat it and you'll be healthy. It's not going to happen. You're going to die. Seriously, you're going to die. Yeah, you'll be fluffy and you're going to die. <laughs> but if we sugarcoat the gospel, it's going to be the exact same thing. If we sugarcoat the gospel, you're going to die. The only way you can live in heaven is with Christ in you. Christ in you. Jesus said it. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the, li the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to God. You come to God by coming to Jesus. Because Jesus is God. <laughs> and Jesus is the one who paid the penalty for our sin. And you know, one day if we live until he returns, I was thinking about this the other day. If I live until Jesus returns, I'm going to hear some trumpets. We are going to hear some trumpets, eh? And we're going to go up to be with him. 
And if I should die before he comes, well, my body's going in the grave and my spirit is still going to him. So either way, because of Jesus, we win. Yeah. Hey? Either way. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And folks, when you look back through the story, Jesus fulfilled every prophecy. God coordinated everything for that first coming of his son. Everything. And he's coming back again. So he's going to articulate in the same way and he's going to fulfill everything in the same way like he did the first time. And if you're looking and if you're watching, you're going to see that there's a lot of prophecies already that have been fulfilled going towards the second coming. I just want to finish with this quick story from David, uh, David Jeremiah. It says, Charlie was 10. School was out for Christmas and his family had chosen to spend the holidays in the country. The boy pressed his nose against the bay window of the vacation home and he marveled at the British winter they were experiencing. He was happy to trade the blackened streets of London for the cotton-white freshness of the snow-covered hills. His mom invited him to go for a drive and he quickly accepted. And they snaked the car down the twisty road, the tires crunching on the snow as they went, and the boy puffed his breath on the window. He was thrilled. The mother, however, was a bit anxious. She could tell that this was more than a normal storm. Heavy snowfall came down and the visibility lessened. And as she took the curve, the car slid to the side and it didn't stop until it was in a ditch. She tried to drive out of the ditch, but she just couldn't. Little Charlie pushed. She pressed the gas, but they were just digging themselves into a deeper hole. Kind of sounds like our spiritual life. They were really stuck, and they needed help. So they began to walk, and a mile down the road, there was a house. And off they went, and they knocked on the door, and of course the woman that opened the door said, of course you can come in, please. Warm yourselves up. The phone is yours. She offered them tea and cookies and urged them to stay until help arrived. An ordinary event. Don't even try to suggest that to the woman that opened the door. She's never forgotten that day. She retold the story a thousand times as if she'd only told it once. And who could blame her? It's not often that royalty appears on your porch. For the two travelers, travelers that were stranded in the English winter were no less than Queen Elizabeth and the heir to the throne, 10-year-old Charles. And he puts, I wouldn't forget that day, would you? Would you forget that day if something like that happened to you? But he says this, I want to tell you something far, something far more wonderful than that, than that has happened. The message of Christmas is that royalty has walked down our streets, heaven's prince has knocked on our door, and God has moved into our neighborhood. He is one with us. Almighty God is here. And he says, you're on his heart today. We do not serve a God who is far away. We serve a God who is close at hand. For he has come to be with us. He is our Savior. He is the Christ of Christmas. His name will be called Emmanuel. God with us. Hallelujah. So Jesus became a man to fulfill the prophecy. He became a man to show us the Father. He became a man to save us from our sin. He became a man to sympathize with our weaknesses. And he became a man to secure our hope of heaven. Now you try and tell me that Jesus doesn't love you. You tell me God doesn't love you. So this Christmas, I think, let's not forget 
Let's not forget what really transpired there. It's not just a, it's not just a little scene. When we say, why the nativity, Dr. Jeremiah, it hit me like a ton of bricks last night. He said, why the nativity? You. And I just, one word, you. And I just sat back there on the sound and I was like, wow, me. Praise God. All that comes to my heart is God's love for us. There are some here today, you've never come face to face to that love. Today you realize that Jesus really was not a fictional story. It's a real story that changed humanity. It changed history for us. So there are some here that have to make that first decision. Oh, God, I have never realized how much you loved me so much you sent your son for me to secure a future and to secure my life here on earth until I get back to heaven. If that's your first decision, then you have to acknowledge your need today. You have to say, God, I can't fix the brokenness. I have tried, and I can't do it. I'm empty. I'm powerless. I need you. Jesus, you're the only way to the Father. I accept you as my Savior today. You see, the punishment of sin requires a Savior. And then you actually believe in your heart that not only did he die, but he rose again so that he can give you life and life more abundantly. And thirdly, that you have a chance to say, God, I'm going to hand over the reins because I didn't, I have not done a good job. And I don't know about you, but is that reality of how deep and wide that he loved me all of those years that I was trying to run my life and run away from the very truth that could have actually saved me at the moment the moment when I came face to face with God, I was 15 and I said no. I was 19, I said no. And then at 25, I heard and I saw and I understood how much God loved me. And from that moment on, I said, take the reins. I need you. And I have never looked back. God and his infinite mercy knew me then and he's knows, he knows me now. And if you are that person today, you come on up and let us pray for you and let us get you ready for a wonderful journey of faith. But for us who have known and who have forgotten how greatly you're loved, if you just want to be refreshed today, come on up. We're going to ask the worship to come up. They're going to sing a song. And you take that time just to be refreshed and restored once again to the love of God today. That is why he came for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you, God, that you see us where we are at. We thank you, Lord, that you came and you dwelt among us. God, we thank you that you can sympathize with us, that you know us, God, that we can come to you. It doesn't matter, God, where we're at and what we're doing, God, we can just cry out your name. And God, you're there to save us. God, we thank you and we praise your name. We give you glory, just glory and honor today, Father. Hallelujah. Let your name be lifted up and highly praised today, Jesus. For you are King of kings and Lord of lords. God, your name is Emmanuel. God with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for coming with us. Hallelujah. God, we don't have the journey alone, but God, you're right there with us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Go with us today, Father. Touch those that were here this morning. God, I pray that you continue to work on their hearts and their minds, Lord. Draw them to yourself. 
and draw them into a deeper relationship with you, Lord. That they'll understand who you are and, God, how much you care. Because you're the God, Lord, of all of our concerns. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You might be asking yourself why the Christmas story is so important. Why is the nativity story for today and not just for Joseph and Mary, the shepherds and the wise men many years ago? Why do we need to believe in Jesus today? We should believe in Jesus because he believes in us. Jesus was God in the flesh and he loved us so much that he came to earth for you and for me. He believed in us enough to appear as a human being who was like us in every way except without sin. John 1.14 says, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus invites us to a life that makes sense and gives us the only workable strategy for living a happy and fulfilling life. Looking out for our own interests leads to self-destruction and despair. When left to our own devices, we are sinful people who go against God's truth for us. Yet, Jesus spoke of living by love and unselfishness. He showed us that life is fuller and more satisfying when we devote ourselves to loving and serving one another. John 15:12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus lives today, and he longs to live within us. Jesus is just as alive today as he was in the first century, and we can have a much closer relationship with him than those who knew him when he walked the earth. When it came time for him to leave this world, Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would come after he left. If Christ becomes our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit permanently makes his home within us. We are never alone, nor are we left to our own limited resources. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Because God is holy and just, he must deal with our sin, the wrong things we do. God loves us so much that he made a way to rescue us from sin. He sent his son Jesus to earth, and Jesus' mission was to rescue us. Jesus rescued all of us from sin by living a perfect life, dying on the cross, and rising again on the third day. He took the punishment for our sins 
so we could spend eternity with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 The gift of salvation is free. To receive God's forgiveness, you simply just need to ask him to forgive you for your sin. And here is a simple suggestion for you to pray. Jesus, I believe in you. I know that you have loved me from the beginning. And now I choose to love you too. I realize that when you died, you had my sins in mind. And I cannot live a life of joy and peace apart from you. So I accept the gift of your forgiveness and rejoice that my debt of sin is paid in full. Come into my life and guide me for the rest of my days. I now belong completely to you and I will follow you as my Lord and my Savior forever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, let me be the first to say, congratulations. We encourage you to find a local church family to help strengthen you as you walk forward in your faith. We would be honored to welcome you to Living Hope Church. May God bless you this Christmas.